3: You ever heard that before? What does that even mean? Well, it's something I've been talking about for about six or eight weeks, and it came true. We saw a buy the rumor, sell the news event, and I'm talking about what happened with Bitcoin and the ETFs that launched open. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about the intersection between politics, finance and technology. And of course, we're talking about the decentralized revolution. And today we're talking about what happened with Bitcoin, the launch of the ETF. Why did the price go down and what the heck is going on now? More importantly, what should we be watching and doing as we watch all this play out? So let's jump right into this. Let's not waste any time. We saw a buy the rumor, sell the news event. So, what does that mean? A lot of times, people are trying to front run the market. So, when they hear something, a rumor, like there could be a merger, there could be an acquisition, we hear this company is going to miss their earnings report, they're going to exceed their earnings reports, we hear a rumor then people will start to move into that position. And what they'll hope is that if I get this rumor right, then I can get a big payoff, and then I'll sell on the news. So I hear that we're gonna exceed expectations, I'm gonna start loading into the position, and as soon as the earnings report comes out, I'll sell. When the news drops, I sell, that's what that means. And so a lot of people were talking about this Bitcoin ETF, and it's been talked, it's been basically all we've heard about in the Bitcoin space for a long time, and how all of this massive amount of buying that would be unlocked because of the ETF opening up would unleash a massive uh, boom, a giant candle. Some people call it a God candle. We'd see Bitcoin go to the moon, if you will, when that happened. And I put out a video December 5th saying, warning, warning the Bitcoin ETF warning, I think it's a buy the rumor, sell the news event. And the reason why I put that out was to let people know that don't get discouraged. If you see it drop in price all of a sudden, don't think it's a dud. don't sell out. As a matter of fact, use that as a buying opportunity. And that's exactly what happened. We saw the buy the rumor, sell the news event. It's been that way for the last couple of weeks. And now things seem to be taking off again. So Are we in a fake out or are we at the start of a new boom? Let's dig into that. But before we do, let's go back to why I thought it was going to be a buy the rumor, sell the news event. All right, so what happens is Bitcoin is considered a commodity. A commodity would be like oil would be like uranium would be like gold would be like wheat. A commodity is a lot different than a stock or an equity. So a lot of times you might hear people say, Well, I don't know how to value Bitcoin. Bitcoin doesn't have any revenues it doesn't have any earnings, right? Okay, so they're thinking of it like an equity like a stock. So when I'm when I'm evaluating a company, I'm looking at their earnings reports, I'm looking at their balance sheets, I'm looking at their financial statements, which some econ- some economists or analysts would say that they have like intrinsic value, there's value because they're producing value. I still think that's a little bit far fetched, I believe all value is subjective. And so even though yes, they have a product, some intellectual property, yes, they have profits, revenue, etc. The 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 stock trades at a multiple of the earnings, and the multiple is still subjective. So even though there is intrinsic value, because there is stuff there, the multiple that trades at is still subjective. Commodities, on the other hand, have none of that. That's why Warren Buffett doesn't like it. He's like, I don't buy gold, because gold doesn't do anything. Doesn't it doesn't he likes sees candy, he likes Coca Cola, he likes businesses that run very efficiently and produce lots of revenue, which is great. So do I. But he doesn't like commodities, they don't do anything. That's why he doesn't buy gold. So gold, oil, right by themselves, they don't really do anything. Now, if you want to understand the price movement of commodities, you have to understand supply and demand. Very simple, understand equities and stocks, difficult, understand commodities, very simple, supply and demand. Now, all of the trillions of reasons that would go into supply and demand can get pretty, uh, pretty difficult. So let's just take oil, for example. Do you think we use more oil or less oil in the future? Will there be more demand for oil in the future? And do you think we'll have more supply or less supply in the future? Right? supply and demand. So let's just think about it on the demand side, what would cause more demand? Well, more people in the world, uh, more people buying more things, more shipping, more airplanes, more cars, more demand, I mean, we're not going to just die. Um, Well, but if we have a lot of cars go over to batteries, EV vehicles, that could cut into some oil, okay, but most of the oil isn't actually used for cars, it's actually used for shipping, there's no replacement for that. Uh, But if we go into a global recession, and people don't Order as much stuff, then there's not as much shipping, right? So you can understand there's intricacies as to what the supply demand metric would be. But if I zoom out, I think in the future we use more oil than less. On the supply side, will we have more oil or less? Well, the world operated on a theory called peak energy for a long time. They thought the world would run out of oil. In 2008, that was proven wrong because. We have technology. Technology changes those things. And so now we have more oil. Um, However, the sort of uh, existing globalist regime that we have today is very antagonistic to oil. So the Biden administration is trying to shut down oil all through Europe. They're trying to shut down oil. So maybe they could crunch the supply more than the demand. And so I'm pretty bullish on the price of oil. However, when you look back since 1971, oil's more or less traded in about a 60 to 60 to 80 dollar range, uh, with spikes uh, above and below that. So we can we can apply that to gold. But back to the point, we're looking at Bitcoin. So if Bitcoin's a commodity, I'm also looking at the supply-demand uh, metrics of that. So why? Uh, let's, let's look at the supply side first. Well, with gold or with oil, if the price of gold or oil went three times, five times, 10 times higher, more people, more resources would go towards getting more oil and gold out of the ground. So we say high prices are the cure for high prices. If the price of gold or oil spiked, more supply would come to the market, which would bring the price back down. High prices, are the cure for your high prices. Bitcoin is different. Bitcoin has a fixed supply cap. So you can't just go get more gold or oil out of the ground. So there is a fixed supply. So in the supply demand metric, we know that supply is capped. So will there be more supply in the future? No, there won't. So now we can only look at the demand side. So it makes it actually much easier than it would be for another commodity. So now we look at the demand side of things. And we'd ask ourselves, will there be more demand or less demand in the future? And some of you might be listening, going, oh, why would there ever be demand? All it is is some speculative uh, tulip mania. There's no real demand. Okay, but that's totally not true. Uh, there's a lot of utility for Bitcoin. Okay, like what? Well, for one, it's a way that I can store my wealth in a way that can't be debased. You see, if I hold my money in dollars, or US treasuries or bonds, they print more of those things, which erodes, which debases or steals my value through inflation. If I hold it in gold, or I hold it in oil, there's other risks that could happen. So for example, they increase the supply of gold, they increase the supply of oil, or the government seizes my gold, right? So there's all types of things. And so Um, it, it gives me a way to store value in a way that's not being debased, not being inflated away. That's number one. So do I think there's more demand for that in the future or less? Well, do you think governments print more money in the future or less? The answer is more money than you need away. So there'd be more demand for it. Another problem that we have today is uh, censorship. And so governments around the world want to control your money, capital controls, they want to keep your money locked in the country and let you know, you know, approve what you can do with that money. In a previous segment, I was talking about what's going on over in Ukraine right now in this new DIA app. And basically, all your money and really your life is in this app. And now if you don't um, respond to the draft, they can just shut off all your money. Okay, and that happens in North Korea, it happens in Lebanon, Uh, they shut the banks down, it happens in China, you can't get your money out of the country. It happens in all these countries, authoritarian nations and nations going bankrupt, always try to control the capital. Do you think there's more of that in the future or less? So if there's more of that, then I need a way to protect myself. So I need something that's censorship resistant, so I can send it peer to peer without having to go through a bank or an intermediary. So I think there's more demand for that in the future, not less. All right. So that kind of sets that up. Now, let's go back to the buy the rumor, sell the news event. Now, what we were expecting is that these ETFs would come on board and lots more people would be able to buy Bitcoin that weren't able to buy it before it would increase the demand for the asset. However, the reason why I warned that there was probably gonna be a buy the rumor, sell the news event is because what most people expected is that as soon as the ETFs went live, a lot of money would go into these Bitcoin ETFs, which it did. As a matter of fact, Bitcoin became the second largest ETF in the world with only I think five days of trading. So a lot of money did go in. But what most people had wrong is they thought that as soon as the money went in, then the then the ETF fund would go buy the Bitcoin in the market. And that would push the demand side up, which would then push the price up. But that's not what happened. And in that video, I explained the reason why it wouldn't happen. And understand that is the key to understanding how we move forward from here. I want to break that down for you. So you can know exactly what to expect as we move forward with the price of Bitcoin. And if you should buy now, or should you wait? If you're just tuning in listening to the Mark Moss show, we're talking about buy the rumor, sell the news and what comes next. You don't want to miss
5: Take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. Whether you're a
2: savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.
3: All right, welcome back. If you just tuned in, you're listening to the Mark Moss Show. We're talking about the Bitcoin ETF, buy the rumor and sell the news event. What happened? Okay, so As I was explaining before the break, um, the reason why I thought it was going to be a buy the room or sell the news event, and I was correct, is because most people thought that as soon as the ETFs open, and people started putting funds into there to buy Bitcoin, they would go buy it on the market, which would cause a supply demand imbalance and push the price up. But as I explained, that's not actually the way it works. You see, most of these ETFs have already bought the Bitcoin, the Bitcoin has been sitting in these seed accounts, or these these buffer accounts, if you will. And as soon as the orders come in, they'll just pull it from their other accounts not from what's on the market. You see what they had in these seed accounts in these buffer accounts had already been taken off the market for some time. So over the last let's say six, nine months, as we've watched the price of Bitcoin go from 25,000 $30, $35, et etc, up, it's because all this demand, these ETFs were buying all this Bitcoin putting in these seed accounts, as well as people like you and I were trying to front run buy the rumor, sell the news event. And so what I thought would happen and what did happen is that everyone thought that this money would go into the ETFs that did, but they didn't go buy the Bitcoin off the market. Instead, they just moved it over from the buffer account. So that's the way it works. The the ETFs cannot be buying and selling in the open market on a regular daily basis. The amount of buying and selling is too much for the amount of liquidity in the Bitcoin market. So they drive the price up and down. So they have to use these buffer seed accounts sort of to trade in the market to know when to refill and, and so forth. And then the ETFs buy and sell directly out of that account account. And so what I warned is that everyone was expecting this. A lot of people were trying to front run this. And so as soon as the news broke, the ETFs opened, everyone would sell. And that's exactly what happened. We saw the price of Bitcoin um, dump and sell off. And what I warned everyone is they said, this is probably going to happen. Don't get fooled into selling. So a lot of people were like, this is it. It's going to 35,000, 25,000, 20,000. I'm out. I'm going to sell the top. I said, don't do that because it's going to be a small dip and you're going to get faked out And then the price will go back up. And that's exactly what we're seeing. The price has gone back up, as a matter of fact. uh, Let me just pull up my chart here. We can see that when the ETF got announced, the price dropped 20%. And since then, on January 23rd, it's now up 16%. So it's almost back to where it was during that time. But let's take a look at what's happened in the ETF since then, so you can understand where we're going in the future. All right, so let's look at a couple things here. Uh, what are some of the main points so first of all part of the reason why we also saw the price sell off is because there was there was no bitcoin etf but there was something else called the uh, grayscale bitcoin trust and the gray, grayscale bitcoin trust had been holding a ton of bitcoin for a long time and they got converted over into, into into an etf when all the other etfs went live but what happened is a lot of investors had their bitcoin locked up in this um trust for a long time. And the trust has very exorbitant fees. And so as soon as it got opened up where they could get their Bitcoin out, and they had another choice to go into another um, ETF that had much lower fees, of course, they wanted to do that. And so what happened is as much Bitcoin was being purchased, a lot of it was being offset by the selling that was going on because of the GBTC outflows at the same time. Now, I talked about the GBTC um, price of Bitcoin, it was trading at you know, a 35 or 40% discount to the nav to the net asset value. Um, so if you bought in at that point, you did really well, not only did you get the appreciation on Bitcoin, but you got the extra 35 40% as well. But what happened is as soon as, um, like I said, BlackRock and all these other ones started buying, um, Grayscale was offsetting that uh, with selling at the same time. But it was a massive success, like I said, within I think the first five days of trading, the Bitcoin ETF became the second largest ETF in the world, it overtook silver for that position. And what we saw, uh, some of this some of this on chain data that we saw is that there were some increased on chain activity. So the one beauty of Bitcoin is that the network is open source, meaning we can see it all. It's an it's not private, because we can see it, but it's anonymous, we don't know who it belongs to. And the ability, or I should say the transparency, the ability to see through it, the transparency that gives us the ability to see through it allows us to get data on assets that we've never had before, which is part of the reason why I think Bitcoin's somewhat resistant to sort of this uh, manipulation and capture that's happened in the gold industry with the gold ETFs, because gold, we don't have that transparency. We can't see that, but with Bitcoin, we can. But what we could see is as soon as the ETF opened up, we could see coins, Bitcoins that hadn't been moved in a long time, started to move. And so we saw coins starting to sell into that event um, that caused that liquidity, Uh, a lot of old supply started entering the market. Now to sort of break this down and put this into a little bit of uh, into into comparison to show you how much buying there was, though, like I said, a lot of people thought that it was sort of a flop. And they said they thought it was a flop because it didn't bring the price of Bitcoin up as high as a lot of people thought it would. As a matter of fact, it went down a little bit. But as I explained why that happened, but to show you just a little bit of, of, of how big it went up, we can see that uh, MicroStrategy, Michael Saylor's company have been the biggest holder of Bitcoin. I think they have 180,000 uh, Bitcoin at this point. And with only one month, we saw the Bitcoin ETFs hold almost just as much. I mean, in a massive amount of buying at one time, we can see the ETF flows in dollar terms were total spot Bitcoin F. we can see that uh, yeah, billions of dollars, we saw 9000 Bitcoin per day were being added. Now back to supply and demand. Just like oil is brought from the ground, just like um, just like gold is mined from the ground, you have to get equipment, you have to use energy, you have to dig in the ground to get gold out. Also with Bitcoin mining, you have to get a computer, you have to plug it into a network, and you have to expend time, effort and energy in order to solve complex problems in order to get Bitcoin out of the ground. All right? I don't want to get super deep into that. But what happens is there's about 900 Bitcoin per day that get unlocked and released into the into the world. Now, what happens is the the supply of Bitcoin will is capped, there will never be more than 21 million. And what happens is about 900 per day being released until we get to the 21 million, and there will be no more, which is over 100 years from now, every four years, the amount of Bitcoin being released gets cut in half. It's known as the halving event. The halving event is coming up in about two and a half months from now, roughly. And at that point, the New supply of Bitcoin will get cut in half. And right now, there's about 900 per day being released, and the Bitcoin ETFs are buying about 9,000 supply and demand. If they're buying 9,000, but there's only 900, what do you think happens to the price? Now, let's go through the halving. The halving will happen sometime early April, potentially. We don't know the exact date uh, based off of the blocks, but. Um, Let's just say that the Bitcoin ETF demand stays at 9,000 and the supply goes from 900 to half of that to 450. Then what happens to the price? What happens when the GBTC um, trust runs out of Bitcoin to sell after all that moves? And then the supply gets cut in half. Do you understand the supply-demand imbalance that can happen? Now, at this point, we can see that there's 10 times more Bitcoin being uh, accumulated than what's being released. But after the halving it goes to 20 times. It's a big difference. At this point, we can see the leading ETFs are Grayscale, BlackRock and Fidelity. They're leading the leading the race with the assets under management. Grayscale is still sort of leading it just because they had the biggest, uh, they had the biggest lead. Uh, looks like the iShares Bitcoin Trust has about 137 billion our total volume. 6.7. Fidelity, 5.5. Kathy Wood's arc down at 1.8. The rest are all pretty minor down below that. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Mark Ma show talking about what happened with the Bitcoin ETFs. Why was the buy the rumor sell the news event and what comes next? I'll be back with this interesting turn of events in a very quick minute. Don't go away. I'll be right back.
1: Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print, or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at legalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms.
2: Whether you are a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks. Kemba Financial Credit Union has a Visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new Visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.
0: My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man.
1: And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's
3: linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be to be. All right, welcome back. If you just tuned in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about Bitcoin ETF and why it was a buy the rumor, sell the news event and what comes next. Now, one uh, interesting turn of events that I really love to see is innovation. I love to see competition. Competition always leads to better products, better service, better prices for you and I, the consumer. One of the things I talked about earlier was how Bitcoin's open network, the transparency in the open network, it's it's not private because we can see it, but it's anonymous. And that anonymous open network allows us to see the data of where the Bitcoin is, what addresses they're in, how long it's been since they've moved and so forth. And that allows us to not have to trust but we can verify we can verify how many Bitcoin are there. And I I talked about why I think it's gonna be much more resistant to manipulation than we've seen with the gold ETFs and so forth. And so I said, um, there's about estimated between one to 500 paper ounces of gold for every one physical ounce of gold. If your statistical data shows one to 500, that means you basically don't know anything. That's way too big of a range. And it's sort of resistant, not only because of the, uh, you know, we're not able to see the data of gold, but more importantly, you can't just take delivery of $100 billion worth of gold. How do you even do that? Right? They don't even have it in the vaults. How are they even transported to you? Where would you even store it? Right? But with Bitcoin, with a push of a button, I can instantly take delivery of it. And it costs me $0 to take delivery of it and to secure it and store it you have a billion dollars of gold, you have to build an army to protect that a billion dollars of Bitcoin, no one even needs to know you have it and it can be cryptographically secured and 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 that way. Um, And so I think that also helps push back against what the ETF can do or like what's happened with gold ETFs, because I can instantly just take delivery of it. Now, because of the open anonymous nature of it, we should be able to somehow audit the network. And a lot of people would say that with these gold ETFs, you don't know if the ETF actually has the gold. What I suspect is that when push comes to shove, a lot of people we know, based off the data, a lot of people are going to think they have gold, and they don't, they're going to end up either hopefully they're going to get cashed out and at least get some fiat currency or they end up with nothing. And so the big question is, do these ETFs really have the gold they say they have? And then with the Bitcoin ETFs, do the Bitcoin ETFs really have the Bitcoin they say they have? Well, one of the ETFs uh, bitwise, they decided to publish their on chain address to increase um, transparency. So that basically means that they said they shared their public address So anyone can log on to the address and see that the amount of of Bitcoin they have matches what they show in the ETF. Now, what I love about this is like I said, back to this competition, what I really hope is that there will be demand for that. And consumers will flock to that because of that feature. And then we'll start to see more ETFs start to adopt that in true um, competitive fashion would be really good. That's one way that we can hopefully keep it from getting manipulated like we've seen with gold. Now, what is next for Bitcoin? Let's talk about this. So not only do we have uh, supply fixed capped at 21 million, not only do we have long term demand, meaning I think governments print more money um, in the future, I think governments get more uh, authoritarian in the future. We also have this the halving coming down where it cuts the supply. We have institutional demand picking up now all these ETFs. 72% of financial advisors said that they would recommend Bitcoin once there's an ETF approved. Uh, We have the grayscale uh, Bitcoin trust that's sort of been dwindling down and and emptying out. Uh, Last year, we had FTX, um, you know, blow up. And also people thought they were buying Bitcoin there, they weren't. So that was also manipulating the price. So a lot of that stuff is gone. So what's next for Bitcoin? We also know that the amount of Bitcoin on exchanges is lower than at any previous halving time. So again, we're almost at the halving. So there's a lot of dynamics that are different from this time. So where does the price go? Well, we know that typically, the price of Bitcoin um, peaks 18 months after the halving date. Now, we've only had four halvings. Uh, we're, well. we're on our fourth having cycle right now. So it's not like total empirical evidence, it's kind of a small sample size. However, about 18 months after the having, we see the peak of Bitcoin. So where was it last time it peaked in November of 2021, which was 18 months after the last having, which saw it peak at about $70,000 a lot lower than most people had expected, including myself, we thought it should have been somewhere around $150,000. Some of the reasons why potentially that ended up less than that was uh, one, we had the whole Terra Luna FTX, and GBTC shenanigans going down all that fraud Celsius, um, Terra Luna, all that Bitcoin uh, was manipulated and stolen that happened. Um, And at the same time, we saw the Federal Reserve um, about face on the interest rates and start raising rates. And so maybe those couple of things caused it to be a little bit lower than it than it, than it could have been or maybe should have been. Uh, we don't really know. But we do know that we're coming up into the halving and about like I said, 18 months after we see that 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 price go up, we do know that there's less Bitcoin on exchanges. And the reason why that's important to understand is that the Bitcoin exchange is what we'd consider liquid. So if it's sitting on exchange, somebody probably wants to trade with it, trade it for another altcoin. Um, sell it for cash when it goes up something like that. If it's in cold storage, it's not as accessible. So typically, it's there for a longer term. And what we can see is that um, the exchange balances have just been declining. Since the last having, they've been rapidly declining, I'm looking at a chart, but I can't show you. So there's that. In addition, we also have other factors. So in the last halving cycle, we had factors working against us. So again, we had the FTX, we had the Celsius, we had the Terra Luna, um, and we had the Fed pivot and start um, tightening the monetary cycle. Now at the halving, we're seeing the opposite. So now we've cleared out the FTX, we've cleared out the Terra Luna, we've cleared out the Celsius, we don't really have any of that garbage overhanging right now. The GBTC is basically cleared out or it's getting there, orderly in a way. But instead of the Fed pivoting and going to a very tight hawkish stance, the Fed's actually doing the opposite right now. Now the Fed is moving into an easing stance. They're looking to start lowering rates here sometime in the next couple of months. We have, and and, and you have to remember, Bitcoin is not just a US based asset, it's a global asset. We have right now, China is melting down and the Chinese government is shoving money into the economy as fast as they can. And the people of China that are getting that money are trying to get it out of the country as fast as they can. And one of the best ways they can get money out of the country is to buy Bitcoin. Sure, they can go to Vancouver or Seattle and buy homes. That's not easy. Buying Bitcoin is very quick and easy. They can buy gold, but what do they do with the gold? It's still stuck in China. And so we have these playing out, we have currencies around the world, Argentina, Venezuela, Lebanon, Turkey, the currencies are melting down, people have to get out of that currency as fast as they can. If they can get dollars, then they'll certainly do that, they'll get whatever they can get their hands on typically not very much. Other than that, they don't have many options. And so Bitcoin becomes a good option for them. So the entire sort of global outlook just looks a lot different at this point. Fiscal policies changing, we had uh, Jerome Powell, of the Federal Reserve was just on 60 minutes a couple of days ago. And he talked about the how the fiscal situation, um, this is the amount of money the government is spending is unsustainable. He said that we're borrowing from future generations, which of course, we've been saying for years. So you take all of this into consideration, and then you take into consideration that we have the ETF there. I believe that the ETF is going to continue to build bigger and bigger and bigger demand more demand over the long term, which will continue to buy remember, like I said, 72% of financial advisors said they would um, recommend to buy Bitcoin, but that doesn't happen overnight. This is going to take months and years to play out. As a matter of fact, we can see when gold was first turned into into an ETF, it was uh, November of 2004. The price of gold didn't peak until June of 2012. So from that was eight years from the time the ETF um, was announced for eight years, gold was on a major bull run once those ETFs were approved. So I think that's more about what I would expect with with Bitcoin, I expect another strong eight years, or potentially even longer. But where could the price end up? If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Mark Moss show, we're talking about the Bitcoin ETF, buy the rumor, sell the news event, what's coming up next. And after a very short break, I'm going to tell you where I think the price ends up. You don't want to miss it. Don't go away. I'll be right back.
4: for. For complete terms.
3: All right, welcome back. If you're just tuned in, you're listening to the Mark Moss Show. We're talking about the Bitcoin ETFs and were they a buy the rumor, sell the news event? Well, we know in hindsight now they were. I predicted it. December 5th, I put out a video on my main YouTube channel. Go watch it. If you want the full details on what happened, just search uh, Mark Moss uh, Bitcoin ETF. You'll find it. Um, But the question that's probably the top of your mind now is where do we go from here? Now, This is a full disclaimer, I am not your financial advisor. I am not telling you to go buy Bitcoin. Um, Most of you probably shouldn't buy Bitcoin. Uh, Actually, everyone should own Bitcoin. Uh, But I'm not your financial advisor, I'm not telling you to buy. Uh, And uh, I'm gonna do my best to give you some frameworks as to where I think it could go. But I'm just gonna let you know in advance that my crystal ball is pretty fuzzy. It's not super clear here. All right, so we know that um, Bitcoin moves on these four year cycles. We know that the four year cycle is known as the halving event, which cuts the supply in half happens in in uh, less than 90 days, about 68 days from now. So we know that happens, we know that Bitcoin peaks typically 18 months after that date. So we have about a year and a half in front of us, then we have to look at the supply demand characteristics of that and other underlying things. So remember, as I talked about the last cycle, it got cut short because the Fed and the central banks went into a tightening cycle, they started sucking the money, sucking the liquidity out of the system. But that's that's not here right now. All that's being switched over. And now we're starting to ease, we're starting to inject liquidity back into the system. The Fed said they would start uh, lowering rates here in the next couple of months. Um, Central banks around the world and Japan, the ECB, they're already easing. We got China shoveling money into their system as fast as they possibly can. And at the same time, in the US, the, the fiscal situation, which is the US Treasury, the government is spending money like a drunken sailor, they cannot spend money fast enough. And we didn't see that before. So not only do we have this having cycle, which is just natural um, cycle, which sort of plays off business cycles and credit cycles. But at the same time, the entire global liquidity went from a, it was not a tightening cycle before. And now we're moving into an easing cycle. So that's very bullish. On the other hand, Um, A lot of the problems that we had, the GBTC, the FTX, the Terra Luna, the Celsius, that really held Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in general down, they're all gone. So we don't have those big things in front of us. So that's bullish as well. Another thing we have, unfortunately, is, is we continue to have a rise of authoritarianism. I am afraid that if Europe, it looks like Europe, probably first, and maybe even the US could get somewhat draconian with some rules and regulations they put on Bitcoin specifically around like self ownership, that could potentially slow it down. Um, But I think people would still be buying it in the ETFs. They're not going to make the ETFs illegal. That's that's there's like a 0.0001 chance that that happens. Um, So I guess people still buy in the ETF. So I'm not super worried about that. Um, And then I would say that I think the ETF demand is going to be massive. Again, 72% of, of advisors said they would recommend Bitcoin once there's an ETF, and there is. And what I saw today was a report showing how fund managers, so most people, a good majority of, of people don't manage their own money, which, by the way, you should manage your own money. But most people aren't managing their own money, and they're allowing their fund administrators, the, you know, whoever runs their 401ks, uh, mutual funds, etc., to build these portfolios and manage them for them. And so what we saw today is a lot of these funds are starting to already put Bitcoin in. So what that means is that we're going to see millions and millions, tens of millions of people owning Bitcoin and not even knowing it. I write an investment newsletter called the tactical asset report where I every single month I write a deep research report um, showing you what I think is happening in the market and what I'm buying or selling at that time based off of that information. And I get people that come in new students every day into the newsletter. And um, the first thing that we want to do is we want to look at all the assets that we have. and We want to look at what buckets or what pillars of our portfolio they're in so we can build the best portfolio. And most people don't even know what they have because it's all just like in a 401k. They don't even know what's in there. And so all of those people will be buying Bitcoin without knowing they're buying Bitcoin. Their fund administrators, their advisors will be buying it for them. And that's why I think these ETFs have this long road in front of it, sort of like the gold ETF had an eight year run in front of it. I think we see the uh, Bitcoin ETF have probably a lot longer than an eight-year run. As a matter of fact, it ran for eight years before it pulled back, and of course now gold is back above that that previous high, and so I think the same thing happens with Bitcoin. So when you add all those things up, I'm pretty bullish on what happens over the next 18 months with the price of Bitcoin, or about two years at this point. Um, so what what does the crystal ball have to say about the pricing? Well, again, my crystal ball is pretty fuzzy. But if we look at um, some charts and some graphs and look at some Fibonacci lines, we look at some analyst experts, um, we see that the predictions are sort of all over the board. And they're ranging typically between 100,000 to 250,000. That's where a lot of people project that we could be at the next halving cycle, which is about about two years from now. Now, again, that's a pretty wide range. And so it's kind of statistically irrelevant in such a big range. What do I think? I think that 100 is should be pretty doable, which is more than 100% from here. Uh, I think 150, depending on how hard the Federal Reserve, uh, the central banks of the rest of the world, China, uh, depending on how hard they go into liquidity, we could even overshoot that number. Uh, But it's hard to say. But I think 100 is a pretty conservative number with maybe up to 150. That's probably where I'd put it. I think 250 is probably a little bit aggressive. I think when I look at the data, each cycle is lower than the last. So it looks like each one is down. Each new high is about 30% of the previous one. So the first one had gone up 16,000% from the having to the peak was up 16,000%. The second one was up 5,400%. The third one was up 1200%. And the fourth one was up 440%. So if we, if we continue that trend, it puts it at about 150, which is a, which is a 200% from where we're at right now. I don't see any other asset in the world that would go up that much. So it's still a pretty good deal. But I don't know, what do you think about that? Now, what could go wrong with this? Well, there's lots of things that can go wrong with it. Uh, One of the biggest things that we could have would be a massive liquidity event. So what does that mean? Like a banking crisis. So we have lots of pinpricks that are out there. Uh, we know, for example, there's about $2.9 trillion of commercial real estate, uh, mortgage-backed bonds that could go bankrupt, could crash the regional banking system, could crash the entire banking system, sort of like a 2008 event. Then we saw when the, ba- when, when the banks collapsed, then we saw the S&P 500 sell-off by you know, over 50%. Um, if something like that happened, then the price of Bitcoin is going to drop as well. Um, Gold, gold dropped 25% when the S&P sold off 50%. Um, Maybe there's another pandemic, right? During the pandemic, we saw uh, the price of Bitcoin plunge big time, as as everything did the S&P 500 gold and Bitcoin, they all plunged as well. So if we get another big event, like 2008, like we saw in the pandemic, then certainly we could see the that, that completely derail things. That's not my base case. Uh, What else could happen? Well, um, I suppose the central banks could decide that they would rather fight inflation and not prop up their own governments. I don't see that as my base case either, because if they don't prop up their governments and their governments collapse, then what's the point of saving their currency? So I think Governments will choose inflation over deflation every single day. So that's not my base case. So my base case is probably, like I said, either some sort of, uh, either some 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 big event causing a massive liquidity crisis. Um, Could be, you know, war escalation, nuclear war. Heaven forbid. Please, I'm not saying that. I don't want that. Um, You know, another pandemic, which again, I certainly do not want or um, some other cascading event where the banks start to collapse, and the government doesn't step in to save that, which again, is not my base case. Any one of those potentials, though, could derail all of this. So there is no guarantee, there is no thing that's certain. Um, And because of that, I certainly would never put 100% of my money into this. Now, if I had 500 bucks, I guess YOLO, right? But if you have enough money, you do not want to put everything in because the future is not certain. Um, Who knows what can happen? So put a reasonable amount, whatever that is for you, I think minimum two and a half percent of your investable net worth. If you understand it, you like it a little bit more, you can go up to 5%, 10%. Um, If you're a psychopath, like a lot of Bitcoiners, I know it might be 30 40 50%. Um, And I'll let you kind of figure out what works best for you. I'd love to hear what you have to say though, hit me up on social media, let me know that you're listening. You're listening to the Mark Moss show talking about the intersection of politics, finance and technology. Today we're talking about the financial system and the technology of Bitcoin. And that's what I got. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.
1: Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms.
2: Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has